I want to just show from the scripture, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there on the seats next to you. And, and if you don't have one, go ahead and take that home, man. That's our gift to you. And what we want to do this morning is present genuine biblical Christianity, not something that comes out of some church tradition that somebody thought up, but something that comes from Scripture. And the way that I'd like to do that is for those of us here this morning who, who claim to be followers of Christ, and, and we claim to have had our hearts and our lives changed by Jesus Christ. I, I want to remind us of what that actually means. And then if, if this is your first time in church ever or in a long time, we want you to listen in and then join in towards the end. But here's a question that's posed by Tim Keller. He's a pastor in, in New York City. And here's the question. What if removed from your life would cause you to lose your reason for living? What if removed from your life would cause you to lose your reason for living. And this morning I want to get across one simple subject, and that's Jesus is greater. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and this is the Word of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. And notice the twist in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And if you notice there in verse 1, what the Scripture is getting across is that if our hearts have been changed, then the goals of our life should also change. And that if we've been saved, then the goal of our life is doing what we do to follow the One who has saved us. You see, when we get saved for real, and for some of us, we got saved a long time ago, so we have to Rewind that VCR tape. I want you to go back. And remember when Jesus grabbed a hold of your heart. You could have been a little kid. It may have been when you were an adult. But when everything else seemed to fade in comparison to Christ. It's where Jesus became no longer, if you were a skeptic, He was no longer a mythical character like the Greek mythology. But He became someone real. And for those of us who believe the content of the gospel before we ever trusted Jesus, it's like he, he was no longer just a historical figure like, like George Washington or Julius Caesar, but everything came alive. And it was like the one, Jesus Christ, who came into our life and gave us an x-ray, a CAT scan of everything that we had ever done wrong so that we had this crushing weight of guilt. He revealed every stain that we have on our conscience from things in the past, and yet the same One who showed us what we were and what we had done is the very same One that came in and wiped the slate completely clean. Praise God! 
I mean, to think about that, that, that incredible, beautiful irony, the fact that the one who allowed us to see that indescribable, crushing weight of guilt over what we were is the same one, check this, that not only offered us pardon, but he also offered us the full benefit package of what it means to be a child of God. I mean, some of us are still hung up on the fact that we've been forgiven from our sins. There's no longer wrath. There's no longer hell that we have to worry about. But guess what? It's not just that. It's the complete benefit package, not only of just being a friend of God, but becoming His child. That's like, here's the deed to my home. Here's all of my riches. All of that is your inheritance because you're my child. That is craziness. And not only that, but we get Jesus Himself. We get God the Father, the Holy Spirit, a long-suffering, patient, forgiving Father who's perfect and powerful above everything that we could ever imagine. And not only that, when you get saved, and some of us, we forget this, we get a loving, powerful Father who promises to be with us no matter where we go. It could be to a, to a jungle in the middle of the Amazon, to a dungeon-like prison in the middle of Iran, or if we want to go on a commercial space flight, He is there. Because He's in control of every square millimeter of the universe. And here is the most ironic part. All of that. Some of us forget from time to time. Not one tiny ounce could any of us have ever come close to earning. It's like, whoa, so, so you're saying that's, that's the total package? No, that's a small, that, we could stay here weeks on end. That is a small microcosm. That is a peek into the beauties of what it means, verse 1, to be raised with Christ. That means to be changed from the inside out. What we're saying is just that two-minute description, none of that Jeff Robinson had at one hand in. So you say, well, where does that leave us without Christ? Doomed and damned. Welcome to Easter. <laughs> right? Like it's a terrible, terrible thing to think about what we would be like without Christ. But you see, that's how genuine, straight from the Bible, genuine Christianity, guys, is absolutely and purely unique. Promises the universe and God himself who created it, but we could have never, ever earned it. And anyone who says that we could have a hand in earning what only God can give through a gift, that is a cheap knockoff of genuine Christianity. You say, well, what happens then? Well, in verse 1, it talks about if we've been raised with Christ. That means if we've been saved. And we couldn't be saved if Christ had not risen from the dead. It says to seek the things that are above. What this means is that when our goals change after our heart changes, then our mindset changes as well, right? And notice that it says, it says don't, or to, verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. The Bible does not say that we're not supposed to think about things that are on the earth. It's not saying that you're not supposed to think about paying the bills and taking care of, a, of kids. It's not supposed to say, it's not saying that we no longer think about our friends. What it's saying is that you don't set your mind, you don't set your hopes on things that are simply here. So why is that the case? That when we've been changed, 
that our goals and our thinking and our hope shifts from what is here to who is there. It's because, go to verse 3, because it says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It means that when Christ changed us, that we are no longer like we used to be. It means that when Christ changed us, our ultimate hope has completely shifted to stuff from stuff that is here to Christ who is coming again. And I want to speak to the men for just a moment. Guys, what is power? You know, for some of us growing up, we, we watched mixed martial arts or, or boxing, and we saw the power of some of these guys that could have knockout power and, and a kick or one punch, and then it just lights out, and there's this scary man that he just KO'd and turned into a sleeping baby. And we're like, wow, that's power. But go a step further. Imagine the guy who's got enough money that he can raise his own private army, and all he has to do is give the word. And they can lay down death and destruction far more than one fighter can in a cage or in a ring. Take it a step further. What about those who have the power of influence if we study military history and just by their persona, just by who they were, they were able to raise men around the cause and they give that one called to say attack and men often ran or rode horses or tanks to their deaths because they were so inspired by that leader let's take it a step further biggest battle that ever will be the battle of armageddon that we talked about a few weeks ago in the end of time when all of the armies in the world are gathered to defy god it will be all of the massed firepower that you could imagine and jesus comes and guess how long the battle lasts not long at all No force can withstand the power of Jesus Christ, guys. So when the Scripture talks about being raised with Christ, it's not talking about some flowery church ceremony. It's delving into the most powerful thing in the universe. Something that overpowers and overturns death itself. It's the resurrection of Christ. And so what I'm trying to communicate this morning is that the resurrection in the person of Jesus Christ has no rivals. So what then? What difference does that make in a person's life? What now? Well, notice after all of that, it shifts there. In verse 4, it says, when Christ, who is your life, notice it doesn't say that Christ is a part of your life. Many of us have known people who have been church people, and they come and they sit, but they leave unchanged every single week. The scripture says, notice, when Christ who is your life. It does not say that Christ is a part of your life. If you know people who they are, quote, church people, but they are not changed people, in the end, they go to hell just like the atheist who denies that God's even there. We straight? We've all known that, and many people today, they say, well, Jeff, I've known somebody, and they claim to be a Christian. They claim this, but there's no change at all. They're just the same that I am. The reason why is because they've never been changed by Jesus. They've been around McDonald's, but they're not a happy meal, right? Like there's no change. Listen, there's no change, there's no Christ, and Christ is so beautiful that when He comes into our life, He changes us completely. Now notice it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, that's talking about something future, then, 
you will also appear with him in glory. Oh, I wish we had time to break this down. But glory and honor is what the ancient world was all about. And even in 21st century America, we no longer have the concept of shame. That means when we do something stupid and our friend is, is videoing it with his or her phone and they put it up on YouTube and even though we're acting like an idiot, people laugh and we're like, ha, ha, ha. Even still in our culture, we've got the value of honor and glory. It's everything from taking selfies to put it on Facebook to get a lot of likes to buying vehicles that we can't even afford to look good. Y'all all right? To give the appearance that I'm the stuff. It's all associated around glory and honor and what the Bible's saying here. That Christ, when He changes us, not when we just get around churchy stuff and dress differently than we do all week, but when Christ comes into our life, man, He becomes the point of our life. And then everything else that we have is a blessing from Him. So if that's the case, how does that actually hit the road in our life. Notice verse 5. It says, this is really curious why the passage does this. It says, put to death, therefore. Well, what? We're just talking about resurrection. Christ. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then it gives this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion. And by the way, that's not passion for good things. That has to do with an anger that is driven by selfishness evil desire and covetousness. And here's the most curious, I think, phrase in this entire passage. It says, these things which are idolatry. So what the Bible's saying, for those of us who claim to be saved, is that once we get saved, that's not the end. That's the beginning of a real war. It's saying that even the power of God, which lives inside of us, it says, guess what? Now it's the point to start putting things in the scope of your life and through the power of God, pull the trigger day after day after day. Put to death these things that are earthly in you. And why does it call things such as sexual immorality and, and anger and evil desire, why does it call those things idolatry? I thought that idols were just things that you make out of wood or, or stone or precious metals. Here's what John Piper has to say about idolatry. He says, an idol is the thing that is loved or the person that is loved more than God, wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God, enjoyed more than God. Another scholar, G.K. Beale, says that idol worship is revering or super respecting anything other than God. And you know, for, for most people in 21st century America, our issue for most people is not bowing in front of idols. True? Like across the board. But here's where the text gives an indication, the passage gives an indication that, listen, good gifts from God, if we allow those to become the center stage in our life, that could become, a blessing could actually become an idol. Isn't that crazy? Let's, let's walk through a few of these things. Some gifts that God has given us that we can view or that can become as idols. One would be marriage. You ever heard somebody say, well, I just I want to be happy. All I need to do is just get married and then I'll be happy. That's all I need. All I need is somebody. 
I mean, all, all, all you need is, is what was it? What is it? Three people. Um, a lady, all she needs is, is three people to get married. She needs herself, a preacher, and a very anxious mother. Some of y'all figure that out later. Marriage. You see, here's what often happens in marriage when we don't realize that James, what's it, James chapter 1, verse 17, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. That means all of these things are gifts from God. When we begin to, mute, to view marriage as our Savior, a person who can bring us redemption. Often this happens in marriage to say, he or she completes me. That's dangerous. And here's the reason. Subconsciously, often in relationships, we're looking for someone to be the one who gives us the reason to live. In other words, we're looking for him or her to be a savior. Nobody can bear that load. Can't. Like there's, there's no perfect man. There's, there's no perfect woman. It's not going to happen. So what happens is we come into these relationships, often marriage, and we're looking to him or her to deliver us from our stuff. They can't do it. They let us down. And then our heart gets broken because they cannot bear the weight of being a savior because only Jesus saves. And along with that, in our culture by and large, we, we have turned sex into an idol. Now let me say something you probably didn't expect to hear in church on Easter, but I'm going to say it. God is not anti-sex. This going to make everybody feel awkward, but we're going to say it. God created sex. Like it's, it's His idea. Like Satan didn't come on the creation, like the sixth day when, when He created Adam and Eve, and like start putting stuff in places. Like, that, that was not a special operation from Satan and his demons. So Adam and Eve are there created like, wow, what are these and what are they for? And like, we are never coming back to this church ever. <laughs> ever. Here's the thing, man. Not only is God not anti-sex singles, please hear me. God is pro-sex, and when you get married, you can have all of the, not sex, but all of the guilt-free sex you can handle. People are like, we're actually leaving now. We're not just not coming back. We're going to leave right now. You did hear that on Easter in church. I mean, here's the thing. Romance and sex to where the woman is pursued and the guy is the pursuer. Ladies, it's that point where it's early in the dating process where he gives you nice little nicknames. He may call you boo. And he says, is that okay for me to give you a nickname? And you're like, I don't mind if you call me by your last name. Like, you don't say it on the second date, but you're just like, how you doing? Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he sees her and he's like, wow, she is incredible. Like, who is this girl? Like, I would marry her right now, but I don't want to be like the weirdo creepo. God has given sex as a gift. But what happens, notice again there in verse number 5, he's saying that sexual immorality, sex outside of monogamous heterosexual marriage can become an idol. Because here's what happens often. When we disobey what God's word has to say about the precious gift of sex, then we begin to feel dirty. We begin to feel guilty. And often the way that our culture compensates for that is we look for new sex tricks. I don't care if you're buying a pack of gum. You cannot notice the magazines that are there in the rack. True or not true? 
Like, it's there. I mean, it's just, it's crazy stuff. Like, you know, camo sex. Don't let her see you coming. Like, it's just like, what? Like, what is all this? What? It's like this, this, obsession, this obsession with sex in our culture. Y'all all right? We're going to preach today on Easter. Just because it's Easter does not mean that we're going to tone it down. We're going to lift high Christ and we're going to point out counterfeits. Aren't you glad you came? All right. And here's what happens, not only when we, when we begin to have sex outside of the confines that God has given, we begin to feel dirty, and then we look for new ways to create excitement because the old no longer does it, and our conscience is even more laden with guilt. Here's what happens as well. We say, well, the problem is that I just need to experiment with new partners, and then we begin to cheat on our husband or a wife. When sex becomes an idol, it gives a false promise that just a little more of this, a little more of that, a new partner, new partners, that's what's going to give you fulfillment in life. But the Bible teaches us that sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed within marriage, and it doesn't have to be something that we leave feeling guilty from. In fact, a few months ago, we had a, we had a special speaker here who talked about marriage in the family on Sunday morning, and then that afternoon, he gave a talk on marriage from the Bible. And one person commented a number of months later, like every woman under 40 in this church is pregnant. Maybe there's a correlation. You're like, did you drink the water, honey? Leave now, leave now. But you see, in our culture, we often don't even catch it that these gifts that God has given, when we view them and we use them as God did not intend, they leave hollowness, emptiness, and an incredible amount of guilt. Let's go to something else. Children and careers. Aren't children awesome? I mean, seriously, kids are so cool. I, I love kids. There's a, one of my friends who posted this on Facebook. He said that his little, his little son was trying to stall from going to bed. And he asked his mom, he says, Mom, can I get another glass of water before I go to bed? He didn't need water, he was just trying not to go to bed. And she said, no, honey, you need to go to bed now. You know what he said? He said, well, I guess I'll just have to drink my tears. <laughs> that dude's going into law school and making a boatload. I, I, and there were some of our friends, and they said they were in a store one day, and a little son, and, and there's this lady who... Um, what, what, she looked like a witch. And, and he said to his dad, he said, uh, he said, Dad, is she a witch? And, and dad tried to not, you know, to hold it down. And little kid, you know, he didn't think that his dad heard him. He said, I said, is she a witch? And I was hearing my friend say that. I was like, that is hilarious. And we're going to be walking through that probably because we've got one on the way right now. But, you know, it's so awesome to see children and, what, and, and, and the innocence, right? And how they're so beautiful and cute and sweet. But in our culture, let's take kind of a serious turn here. Often we, we have on two ends of the spectrum, um, we, we study these ancient cultures and see how they practice child sacrifice, and we say, how could you ever sacrifice your own child? But let me just say, often careers, guys, can become what drives us, and children, they may not be sacrificed over a fire to a stone false idol, but they are sacrificed to our careers to the detriment of our families and the detriment to the local church and detriment to the glory of God. 
And on the other hand, we have something called child worship. Like Noah's scheduled to be born May 26th. We're so excited about that. You know, the, the other day I was just, you know, seeing where he was, and, and I put my hand on, on Jen's stomach, and it was like he gave me a high five. It was so cool, you know? And we're saying, like, the crazy parent stuff. Like, I think he has a great sense of humor. He's so funny. It's like, the kid's not even born. Like, we're going to be that family, right? Those parents. And what we've seen in our culture is many people, please hear me, they take a gift from and they change the child into an idol. And everything in life revolves around what the child, please hear me, wants to do instead of what the child needs to do, which comes from the parent. And if we do not say, God, thank you for this child. What a precious gift. But if we say this child is the reason for my, for my life, and everything must revolve around my child, what we will turn into is idolaters over children. And then if we can look at ourselves from an outside perspective, we become that person that we never wanted to be when our child misbehaves at school and we get the call, it's not my child's fault, it's the school's fault and the teacher's fault. Because that's my child. And you can usually see when someone is an idolater, it's whenever someone corrects their child when their child has misbehaved that they say, no, they don't say it this way, but they mean, that's my God. My life is about my child. It's not about God. Therefore, my God does not sin because my child is God. And you have just blasphemed my God by saying that my child has done something that he or she should not have. Y'all okay? You see, career and children, if they are not viewed as blessings from God, then they will become counterfeits for Christ. You see, the, the, the precious gift of children, they are not to be sacrificed for our careers. And if we turn our children into idols, what will happen is that we will place all of our unfulfilled dreams on that child. We will want that child to make more money than we ever did. We will want that child to score better on tests than we ever were able to. We will want that little boy or girl, regardless of their physical ability, to be the athlete that we always wanted to do. And always wanted to be. And what will happen if we do not view our children as gifts, but if we view our children as idols, we will crush their spirits by the weight of our unfulfilled dreams. May it be that in Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we view our children as blessings and not as God. And while we're on this, we could talk all day long about money, about how money becomes a false sense of security and a false sense of perfection rather than Christ. You see, for a follower of Christ, money, the satisfaction of earning and saving and investing and all of those things, a win should remind us of greater rewards. Let's go to something else, food in our culture. Food can often become an idol. It can become a sacrifice or a substitute before Christ. You see, for us, whenever we eat a good meal, come on, we're in the South, we like to eat, amen? When we eat a good meal, that should remind us of how amazing God is. That He's the one who created all of those flavors. And for those of you who are coffee drinkers, you should be led to worship God through coffee. For some of you, your rule is coffee before talkie. 
That's the way it rolls in your house on Sunday morning, Saturday morning, every morning. And sometimes, often, we, we say, you know what, this is just a simple thing. It's food, it's coffee, it's a soft drink. But that should point us to the one who makes those things available. And then finally, beauty and strength. Oh, man. Ladies, this should be freeing for you that in Proverbs chapter 31, it says that charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. It means that our physical strength, guys, it is to be used for God, it is to be used for people. You say, well, Jeff, how are we supposed to view these things properly? Listen, those of you that are married or those of you who want to be, let the commitment that marriage brings, let that be a shadow of the commitment that Christ has. Christ's greater commitment to you and I. When we think about sex as beautiful and as great as that, as that is, think about the intimacy that Christ offers that is so much greater than a small amount of time and sexual pleasure. When we think about children and careers, we think about when we look down at these children that God loves me, mind-blowing thought, more than I could ever think to love my child. Wow. God loves me more than I could ever even think to love this child. And to think about our careers, say, praise God, I'm able to work, but my career does not define me. Amen? It does not define me. And when we think about money, we think about how Jesus Christ is far more valuable than the greatest amount of money. And when we think about making money from our jobs, which is a God-glorifying thing, we think about, you know what, there are greater rewards than making money money. We think about food, how good it can be. I know I came home last night, hadn't eaten much all day long. I completely forgot to get a hamburger at our men's event, our blast fest, and Jen made these, these fajitas, fajitas, and it was just awesome. And, and she also made chocolate chip cookies as well. Again, be very, very jealous. And it was just like, oh, it was unbelievable. But listen, when I think about how awesome some food is, I think about how Jesus Christ satisfies and how I should hunger and thirst after righteousness and then the beauty and strength when the day comes. And for some of us, the day is already here. So we look at pictures and say, you know what? I think I I was better looking a few years ago. There's some people and that never happens, right? And they don't have a problem with pride either, but you say, you know what? There's a times where I could lift more than I could now. But Jesus Christ, ladies, He is your beauty. Men, He is our strength. And Romans chapter 10, verse 15 says, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That is where our beauty and our strength come from. Verse 1, chapter 3, from the one who has raised us. Bob Dylan wrote a song, 1979. It's called, When You're Going to Wake Up. And in that song, he says these words. There's a man up on a cross, and he's been crucified. Do you have any idea why or for who he died? When are you going to wake up? When are you going to wake up? When are you going to wake up and strengthen the things that remain? It may be that when we have this time of response, for those of us who have been changed by Jesus Christ, but we've forgotten to strengthen the things that remain. May it be that today on Easter begins a new chapter and our thankfulness to Jesus Christ that He's not only given us Himself, He's given us these other blessings and for us to view them as we should. 
And again, Tim Keller says, what if removed from your life would cause you to lose your reason for living? And if it's a person, if it's a thing, then that's something that has come to replace Christ. It must be repented of and placed in its proper place so that we can enjoy the blessing and worship the only one who deserves worship. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we come to this time of of response? I just want to want to ask the um, the Christ followers who are who are here have have you forgotten of all of what Christ has done for you? Have there been some things, maybe it's great things, good things that God has blessed you with, but that has kind of taken what should be reserved for Christ and Christ alone. I pray to search your heart. And here on this Easter Sunday morning, when we're gathered in celebration of the one who rose from the dead, In this invitation time, you may want to come and and pray at the front or stay in your seat and say, God, help me to reserve my worship for you and you alone. And then finally, before we begin to sing, for some you say, well, Jeff, I've never given my life to Christ. I've never been saved, but it's something that, that recently I began to think about. In this moment right now, I encourage you. I plead with you to give your life to Jesus Christ. Ask Him to take over your life and forgive you from, for all your sins and be your Lord and to be your Savior. And we're going to have an invitation here in just a moment. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. I'm going to be down here right in the middle and you'll be able to come out any of these seats, any of these rows, any of these aisles. And if the Lord is leading you to give your life to Christ, I encourage you to come. What we'll do is I'll just pray for you right here. And by you coming, you're saying, I'm ready to become a follower of Jesus Christ today. There may be others of you, and God has led you to unite with Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Why don't you come? We'd love to have you. Father, would you take this invitation time and help us to respond to you as you're leading. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing.